Okay, so turn to 1 Corinthians and, um, okay, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3, but first I just want to quote a verse um, from Proverbs 14, and today's lesson is is about building and building what we're going to build with, and um, Madeline, do you want to go into the Sunday school room and get the poster with all the gems on it? It's on top of the file cabinets or on the table. So, um, Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds, but with her own hands... A, a wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, a foolish woman tears hers down. So, Proverbs 14.1, A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, a foolish woman tears hers down. So, um, what do you, what comes to your mind when you think of that verse? When I say that a wise woman builds her house, what do you picture in your mind? Okay, you're going right to the application. Does anyone picture someone actually building? Okay, and anyone else? So. Kind of what? A weaver. Okay. Okay. Yes, I'm picturing the kids building their ziggurat with sugar cookies. <laughs> a wise woman builds her ziggurat, but with her own hands, a foolish one tears hers down. So, um, so we're going to talk about building tonight and how to build and what that means. And um, I hope by the end you'll kind of have a different understanding. I really would encourage you, if you have a heart, to minister in your home and or minister in the body of Christ to memorize that verse. Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman builds her own house, but with her own hands, a foolish one tears hers down. And um, it is it is much easier, I'm going to be honest with you, it's much easier to destroy than to build up. It's much e easier to tear down than to repair the breaches in the walls. So keep that in mind if, you know, you think, oh, I'm not much of a builder. I just seem to have a negative impact on people's lives and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's because it's easy to do that. And and all of us, to some degree, will do some tearing down because we live in a fallen world and we live in the flesh. But we can all learn to build and we can all learn to impact people's lives. So um, I'm, gonna, I'm looking here at um, 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to start with verse 1. I, and I, brethren, or sisterin, <laughs> I, sisterin, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are, not, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? When one says, I'm of Paul, and the other says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, 
each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Don't you know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So I want to talk a little bit about building in in the kingdom of God, because um, one of my favorite uh, chapters, and we're not going to look there tonight, but we'll look there another night, is Ephesians 4, where um, Paul talks about building, and that we're to build up the body of Christ. And here he says that the church, meaning we, plural, are God's field, God's building. And um, do you guys remember the very first um, Bible study when I brought in all my tools and I showed how we're all tools, but we're also being built. And so the hammer, you know, is banging on the screwdriver and the screwdriver screwing into the hammer. So if you can kind of remember that illustration, I think that will help you a little but we are God's building. And it, it tells us in the passage we looked at two weeks ago in First Peter 2 that we are being built together stone to stone to contain his glory. And um, that passage talks a lot about worship. So part of our purpose is to bring glory to God. And um, so that when people see him, they will say, wow, that is glorious. That's a working of the Lord. And the Bible says that Zion, which is the church, is the joy of the whole earth. So the, the, the Lord is building something glorious and he's building something beautiful and he's building something to bring joy to a world that is without hope, to a world that is dying. And right away when I say that, how many of you immediately people come to your mind that need Jesus? immediately. So you know, I know people who need Jesus. We all do that. And so when I say, you know, how do we, how do we win these people? I know this sounds hard to understand, but by God building his church that is glorious and the joy of the whole earth, that wins people. Like Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples because you love each other. And that's part of what we're going to talk about together. But anyway, so when we think about building, when you think about building a building as a master builder, Paul said he was a master builder and he laid the foundation. If you've ever watched someone build a really big, tall building, then the foundation has to be very deep. The foundation has to be very strong. It, it's it's probably the most important part of the of the building, and Jesus is the cornerstone. Paul talked about laying that foundation, and of course, part of that foundation would be the gospel, the good news that we're justified justified by faith, that um, God's grace, you know, we we repent and believe, and God's grace covers our sins, and not only covers our sins, but gives us the power to live for him. So, um, so that's part of that foundation, but then we all to some degree or another build on that foundation or we destroy what others have built. 
So we either build or we destroy. And I don't think, you know, I don't think there's any neutral. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Like people say, well, I really haven't grown in the last five years. Then I would say, "Mm, you're probably backsliding because we really don't stay. We, we don't stay in one place. We're either moving forward, we're moving back, we're either building or we're tearing down. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure each one of you have experienced this where you build something and then by your own like bad attitude or you undermine everything you've just taught. Have any of you ever experienced that? Like if moms are all going, yes, 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 because, you know, we're building into our kids and then like we set the perfect wrong example of everything we just taught them, (laughs) you know, and so we've all experienced that. So when... When I'm teaching tonight about how to build, I I want you to understand that we live in a fallen world and we struggle with the flesh and we're not always going to be perfect. And that's not the goal. Our goal in life isn't that we're, you know, like we never make a mistake or have to repent. I just, you know, the, the Bible says in first John, that if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. So not like we should, oh, I'm going to sin. This is my sin. (laughs) Every every day at four o'clock, I sin. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we have to get our eyes off ourselves. Because if we sin, just repent and receive God's forgiveness and always receive God's forgiveness. Don't live in condemnation because condemnation is from the devil. So, but we're called to build and we immediately want to know, well, how do we build? How do we build? What do we do? What do we do? What, you know, um, what, what can I do to impact other people's lives so that they will be closer to the Lord to impact? So to build would be to impact other people's lives so they will be closer to the Lord and more mature and that groups of people will be more unified, more mature, and they will walk in the mission God has for them. So that's pretty intense. So so if I'm going to build into your lives, then I need to impact you in a way that you're going to be personally closer to God, but also that you're going to be personally closer to each other and that together we're going to be on mission. We're going to be fulfilling the purpose of God. Does that make sense? And so, um, you know, I think different people are skilled at, at different, at different things. And, and you might, you know, see in your life, well, wow, you know, I seem to be able to really, I'm a peacemaker. I build a lot of unity or, you know, I'm a really strong leader and I get the job done and we each have different giftings that, but, but that's kind of our big thing that we're trying to do. All, all of it is for the Lord. It's not so that we can have a platform. It's not so that we can have a name. It's not so that we can write a book. It's not so that people can applaud us because we really live in a time where we misunderstand so much of what honors Christ in our culture. And and people who sincerely love Jesus with all their heart and want to serve him, they they sometimes get distracted by wood, hay, and stubble. And that's and that's what we're gonna talk about. Um, how do you build? How do you build with the right tools so that uh, this is our goal. Our goal is that one day we're gonna stand before Jesus and there's not gonna be like, you know, disco lights going off or, you know, like it's gonna be us before Jesus. And then, then what we, excuse me, excuse me, okay, I'm done. Okay. So it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be, you know, this big thing where it's, it's going to be this simple thing where we're going to give an account. Really? Okay. It's, it's going to be, <laughs> goodness gracious. So it's going to be a time where, where we give an account to him and, and, and he either says, yeah, that was great. Or, mm, well, you know, I don't know what he says, cause he's always going to be kind and loving, but 
you know, and what we want to hear is well done, my good and faithful servant. And, um, and keep in mind, we, we need to be faithful with what he's given us to build. And for each of us, it's going to look different. And, and I'm going to talk a little about that. Um, but, um, so fire is going to reveal whether what we build is well built or not. Fire can usually, I think, comes in the form of trials. It comes in the form of, um, judgment um at the end you know when there's burning and things like that so it could be the fire at the end or it could be like you can get little clues to how things are going with the the lives you're building into by what happens when trials hit and and the best way to know someone's character is to watch them go through really hard times not little hard times like they got a flat tire, but like it's, it's the seventh year and it's, and it's the 20th year or, you know, anyway, I'm not going to go into the fire right now, but I, I just, I want you to know that, that so often we hate the fire. Like it really bothers us. I hate it. You know, I would like to live fire free, but the fire reveals who we are and it reveals who, who other people are. It reveals what we need in Christ. So keep that in mind. Like how else would you ever know if you can love your enemies, if they're not people in your world who treat you as enemies, how would you ever know? Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So we're talking about building foundations and we have gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So I brought this because these are some precious stones. They're all, they're all, you know, beautiful and some are very, very valuable. And, um, you know, I, I think of that because Jesus must like jewels because he put them on the breastplate of the priests and he talks about them in heaven. And, and so here's some jewels. And wood, I mean wood, like you can look at the doors. Those are wood. We don't have, uh, I have hay in the Sunday school room, <laughs> but I don't have stubble. And, um, and gold, gold and silver. And um, if you think of gold, like um, I have a white gold, <laughs> I have white gold on and gold gold, because it's my mom's engagement ring. And um, my wedding ring and I lost the stone in my engagement ring, but so I have her white gold and then regular gold, but you see like, I mean, it would take a lot of gold to build a building and gold is really, really valuable. And I would imagine not just building the building with a lot of gold, but getting the gold would be hard. And that's a very important point that we're going to talk about tonight because see wood and hay and stubble are really, really abundant and they're easy to get to. So they're easy to build with because they're just, you know, they're cheap. They're easy. Now, I don't believe that wood, hay and stubble are bad things. I don't believe it's like, you know, um, jealousy or like manipulation or things like that. I, I don't, I don't think as a Christian, you know, that's another talk. If we need to talk to that, we should never be manipulating people. We should never be trying to control people. We should never be, you know what I'm saying? Like all of that, we're just tossing out the window. I think wood, hay and stubble are just more things that aren't bad things, but they're not necessarily building materials. There may be patterns we get into. Like I could teach someone to have a schedule and I have little schedules and I do my schedules a certain way. And I, I could, uh, you know, someday I'll sit down with you and I'll say, okay, here's how to schedule your time. But if I think in my mind by sharing with everybody how to schedule their time that I'm building with wood, I mean with silver and gold and fine jewels, it wouldn't be true. 
because the schedule is something I can build with, but it, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's, it's not getting to the core of who people are. So I don't think these things are wrong things. It's not wrong to teach someone how to manage their time, or it's not wrong to, um, you know, have like a little formula of the way you do a church service. But what if God just showed up and said, hey, I don't want worship at the beginning. I want it at the end. Are we really attached to the order of the service that we couldn't let it go? You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's not in Scripture, it's wood, hay, and stubble. If it's not something that God gave us in Scripture, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't mean we can't do those things. It just means, is our heart really set on those things? And do we really believe that that will change someone's life? What will change someone's life is an understanding that their time belongs to God and they need to consecrate that to the Lord. Are you, am I making sense? So a lot of times we get our formulas like, okay, well, this is our formula for mentoring someone. You know, we meet and we, you know, we do this together and then we do this. And then of course we have to eat because Christians always have to eat. And then, you know, we're done. And that's kind of our formula, but that formula is wood, hay, and stubble. It's not a bad thing, and you can do it the same way every time, but you just have to realize that's not the thing that's going to change someone's life. So so what does change someone's life? So what changes someone's life are the tools that we find in Scripture. Um, one of the biggest ways to build into someone's life is to spend time with them and love them, and that's what Jesus did. He... He discipled people and his 12 and others and women who took care of him and met their, met his, you know, they cooked and stuff for the disciples traveled. And so he had a big entourage, probably like 25 maybe people and they traveled together. And can you imagine Jesus is here with his 25, <laughs> you know, his crowd of 25 or however many that was, but he went everywhere with them. And he loved them, and they were his family. And um, and he he had affection for them, and he trained them. But that time, you you cannot you cannot replace time and love. Time and love, and Jesus shows us that it's like with our children, we can't replace time and love and. And we can be in the same room with our children and be absent and disconnected. So, you know, being in the moment, being, having affection for people, that there's, there's nothing that can replace that. One of the first things Jesus did when he met Peter who was the most emotional guy I think we see in the scripture. You know, you never know what he's going to do, but you know, a lot of times it's going to be the wrong thing. And if it's the right thing, soon it's going to be the wrong thing. But um, he was just a real emotional guy. And so the first thing Jesus said is, Peter, from now on, you will be rock. And Andrew and his wife, Peter's wife, and his mother-in-law, they probably all laughed. <laughs> well, he's not much of a prophet if he called him rock, you know. But, but Jesus loved him. And he saw something in him that no one else saw because it wasn't even there yet. And one of the best things that we can do in loving people is to see what God sees, to see people through his heart and to call things forth from them that aren't even there yet. But God has that plan and they can come forth. And, um, you know, if you're a mom, tell your children all the time, you're a godly woman, you're a mighty man of God. You know, God has a, a call on your life. He is with you. You know, God called... Gideon, mighty warrior, and he was such a chicken. 
But he said, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And <laughs> this can't be the Lord because he would know I'm tearing down the altar of Baal at night when no one can see me. But that's our God. You know, our God is the one who doesn't see who we've been to this moment, but he sees what he has called us to. And I, I think that's very, very important for us to understand. One of the th scenes in the movie Risen that really struck me is the centurion was trying to find Mary Magdalene. And so he's like, does anyone know where she is? No, no, no one knows where she is. So he goes to the soldiers and he's like, who of you knows Mary Magdalene? And they all like raise their hand because she had been a prostitute. And I thought, oh my goodness, I never think of Mary Magdalene like that because she traveled with Jesus and she saw him rise from the dead. But that's what she was before Jesus got a hold of her and called her out and into what he had for her. So don't ever, don't ever limit people by their sin or where they are in their life because Jesus is bigger than our sin. Jesus is bigger than our flaws. And Jesus can take anyone and use them in a mighty way. Um, Moses was a murderer. Paul was there approving Stephen's death. And yet, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. So don't limit God. And ask God for that kind of heart for people. So, um, the next tool is, um, and we've talked about this many times, but the word of God is powerful. It's living and active. If you want to build into people's life, study the word, memorize the word, deposit the word in your heart so that you can speak words that are like apples of gold in settings of silver, the right word at the right time. If you truly want to make an impact on people's lives, the word of God is powerful. Um, and so, um, text people scriptures, speak the word over people, um, things like that. And, um, teach, teach the word to people and also realize that God, um, we get the word in different ways and, um, we we're to read the word, we're to memorize the word, we're to study the word and we're to hear the word. So, um, and, and also, the word is taught to us. And so I was thinking about um, sermons because if you're part of a local church, then your pastor is going to get a word from the Lord and he's going to deliver it. And that word is for all of us. So if you miss a sermon, it would be good for you to either listen to it or to talk to someone who was there and say, hey, you know, what what word did Pastor Mike have? And, you know, because, or if you miss life group or something like that, because it's not like, oh, here's another thing to add your to, to your to-do list, but it's like God is feeding us through leaders, and we want to not miss that. Like, we want to get that, you know? And um, so often... I have been in situations where like I've gone back to check on the Sunday school and then someone will grab me to talk to me. Um, and, and one time I was starting to minister to someone and the Lord said, do not minister to them. You need to be hearing this sermon and they need to be hearing this sermon. So we went back in. I said, I just feel like God, you know, I just told, this is what I feel like God is saying to me. So we both went back in. And the sermon was exactly what the person needed to hear. But I needed to hear the sermon too because I need to be equipped if I'm going to minister. I can't be separated from the supply line. So that was a lesson to me. So I don't ever mean to be rude, but if you want to talk to me during the sermon, I'll say, listen, as soon as the sermon's over, I'll talk to you. But right now I feel like we both should be in the sermon. 
And, and the reason is because it, nothing, nothing in the Christian life is natural. It's supernatural. And if, if God is going to speak through his servants, we need to take that seriously. And also, if we're going to speak on behalf of the Lord and pray in his word, we need to take that seriously. And we talked about that, you know, he who teaches will be judged more strictly. So anyway, that was just kind of something the Lord showed me. And in every situation where that's happened, when the person and I go back into the service, the Lord has word for them exactly where they are that ministers to their heart. It's just the way God is. Like God, God is, is good. Um, so also hearing the word imparts faith. So a lot of times when people are struggling to believe God, you can speak the word to them and you can build faith in their heart. And so don't hesitate to open your Bible and read a scripture out loud to someone, because a lot of times that will be something that will impact them. I don't know how all that works. I don't know how the word penetrates to the deep places of our heart. I don't know how hearing the word imparts faith. But I do that when I'm discouraged. I just get my Bible and I read it out loud because I believe that, like, it's like, okay, I don't know how this works, but, you know, it does. So, <laughs> okay. Um, and so no matter what you have to do to be, um, I don't want to say a student of the word because beyond that, a possessor of the word, where the word is in you, you know, do that. And, um, and, and everything like, you know, look at everything in light of God's word. There's so many illustrations, like whenever I'm learning different subjects, whenever, you know, I'm in the world, I'm looking at creation, I'm studying history, I'm reading a plot line in a book. I always think, how does this relate to the the, the word and and how, what does this reveal to me about God because we're made in his image and anyway so I have a lot of fun with that you know and some of the stuff I'm like oh this is probably really stupid I won't ever share that with anyone but um, sometimes God you know he really gives me insights that are profound so um, the next thing is prayer um, Jesus prayed for us in this room the night that he was arrested the, the night before he was crucified, he prayed for, for all those who would believe. And we, we see in Ephesians that we're the joy set before him. So um, he took time to pray for us 2,000 years ago. And Jesus made time to get up and to spend time with the Father. And so when it comes to that, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. But when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. So our motives should always be to glorify God, to bless other people. Um, but, you know, sometimes we're trying to build into people's lives. We're trying to build into our children's life or we're trying to build into someone's life. And we don't see change. But how much are we really asking God to do that? Because, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, sometimes when things are discouraging, it's hard to keep praying. You know, when someone has been sick for years and years, it's like, oh, yeah, and please heal Mr. Steve. Or, oh, yeah, and please bring this person to repentance. Oh, yeah. And you just get to a place where you feel discouraged. And... um but for whatever reason, God wants us to always pray and never give up. And Jesus, it says in the Bible, Jesus told them this parable so that they would always pray and never give up. So pray for the people that you mentor, pray with them, and have teach them to pray. Teach them to pray and give them prayer requests and give them things to pray about. When um, I was a young Christian, I roomed with my friend Audrey, and we had this poster on the back of our wall, and it said answered prayer. And every time we had an answered prayer, we wrote it down on our poster. All of the non-Christians in our floor loved that poster. 
and they would get really excited when they would ask us to pray for something and then their answered prayer got put up on the poster because people want to know is God real sometimes you need to be reminded is God real so don't forget about answered prayer. Like, you know, we can focus on the prayers that aren't answered yet, but then God has so many prayers that are answered. So prayer. Um, another, um, another way that we can build into people's lives is the idea of faithful in little, faithful in much. It's a leadership principle. And, um, you know, that's a principle that, that we use that um, if I'm going to have someone, you know, be in any kind of leadership, I give them opportunities to be faithful in little and then faithful in more and then faithful in even more. Because, um, you know, if they can't be faithful in little, then they're not going to be able to be faithful in more. Now, the way the world works, and, and I've gone to, you know, pastor's conferences, and they're like, oh, yeah, give everyone in the church a job, because then they'll all be committed to the church. And I'm like, mm, that's backwards. You know, people should be committed and faithful, and then they get responsibilities. So that's the Bible's way. Um, and it's a way to train your children to be faithful in little, and then they can be faithful in more, and then they can be faithful in more and then they can be faithful and more. Um, and, you know, um, it ends up producing people that have integrity. And one of the things that's important in Christianity is to have integrity because we represent Christ to the world. And we can't have people in leadership who don't have integrity. We can't have people you know, leading worship who don't have integrity. We can't have people pastoring who don't have integrity. Um, it, it, it dishonors Christ. So, um, okay. Um, another, another principle, and I, I'm just, I'm giving you like things that we can build with is, um, so I talked about love. I talked about teaching the word. Um, Jesus had a pattern of the way he trained his disciples. And what he did is first, everything that he taught his disciples to do, he already did well. And then he would have his disciples come along with him and they would watch him do these things. They would watch him teach. They would watch him lay hands on people and heal them. They would, you know, watch him, um, deliver demons, all, all these different things. The disciples would watch and do miracles. And then, so they would be with him and then he would have them do it. And he would say, okay, now you do it. And so they would drive out the demons. They would lay hands on people and they would be healed. And then sometimes he would send them on little, you know, little moments where they were alone. Like when he went up for the transfiguration, his disciples were praying over people. And when he came down, they're like, oh, we couldn't do it. You know, and Jesus said, well, this kind usually takes fasting and prayer. And so Jesus was basically like he would give them these opportunities to try it. And if they failed, he would instruct them how to do it the right way. So um, and then he would send them out on trial runs on their own. So he sent the 12 out two by two. He sent the 72 out two by two. God, I don't, you know. For the most part, there are exceptions, but for the most part, we're sent out two by two. Twos or threes, we're not sent out by ourselves. And even if you're in a situation where you're kind of sent out by yourself, you should always have a second person who's covering you in prayer. You know, most of the time in college, when I saw people getting in trouble, it was when they were going out <laughs> on their own to try to reach <laughs> a certain segment of the culture. So anyway, that's just an aside, but that's a great way. So if you're going to pray with someone and you're a mom, grab one of your children and say, Hey, let's go pray over this person. Or, you know, if you're having hospitality, your children, they help you get ready. They help you greet guests. They help you be hospitable. Um, if you, and then if you're discipling people, you do the same thing. You just take them with you where you go 
And then eventually, well, how about if you pray over that person? How about if you do that? How about if you, and, and sometimes she just kind of step back and you leave them all alone. And, um, you know, I've done that with Sarah. I've done that with Kate. I've done that with Laura, with Mary, with Jenny Rose, where, you know, like they get in the situation and then I just step back. And sometimes for me to step back, I have to like actually leave because I'm such a talker that, you know, it's like, so I've just got to get out of here. I'm going to take over. You know, sometimes if they were leading Bible service, I've just got to get out of this situation because they're never going to be able to teach with me here interrupting. But um, so then they begin, you know, they're out there on their own and then you help them and you help them evaluate how they did. Well, how did you think my Bible study went? Well, I think it went really well. And um, I think there's a couple things you could do to make it go even better. And here's some things that you can do. And so you're constantly teaching. Um, When um, all my children, when they went away to college, they would want to share the gospel in their classrooms. And they all had some really negative experiences, especially their freshman year. And they would come home and they would talk to me about it. And, you know, not negative because anyone was mean to them, but just because they felt, I should have said this or I should have said that. So then we would just sit and we would say, well, let's pretend like it's happening all again. What, 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 what could you do different? What could you say different? And, you know, it's okay. Like it's, we just, we just want to keep learning from things and moving on, learn and move on, learn and move on, learn and move on. And so, um, I think it's, you know, it's important in situations like that. If you don't help people to learn and move on, they quit and, and they just give up. And they say, well, I just won't share in my classroom. I guess God just hasn't gifted me to share the gospel or defend the faith. But no, God really has gifted you. It's just in everything we do, we have to learn how to do it. So, um, so those, are some, those are just some ways um, that we can impact um, people by building with, with gold, silver, and fine jewels. And again, it's not that wood, hay, and stubble, you know, it's not that they can't be there. It's just you can't deceive yourself into thinking you can build something. You know, I could sit down and teach someone to manage their time and to say the right things to their children. You know, okay, when this happens, I'm going to say this, and this happens... But if their heart never changes and they don't have the heart of a mother toward their children, then it's, it's just all on the outside. Things have to start on the inside and flow from the outside. And, and that's one way people's, when, when you're impacting someone, they're going to they're gonna repent. They're going to cry sometimes and say, oh, I feel like such a loser. And, and then you're going to say, no, just repent. Just receive God's forgiveness. Just move on. You know, all of us blow it, and this is how I blew it. But, but we just move on. You know, we just move on. We receive God's forgiveness, and we move on. And, um, and, and when you are mentoring people, especially mentoring your children, like, they're not going to be successful all the time. Folly's bound up in the heart of a child. They're going to mostly be unsuccessful, you know? Like, I just laugh sometimes. I'm like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> I mean, how much folly do you think is in there? Like six spankings worth, you know? <laughs> No, folly is bound up in the heart of a child and they're going to do foolish things and, and they're, and they're going to spill things and break things. And, and sometimes their heart is going to be defiant and sometimes it's not going to be defiant. They're just going to be immature. And are we, are we willing to know to at least to say to the Lord, is, is my child right now being rebellious or is my child right now just 
just being, you know, immature. And one of the things that in raising children, I, I always ask the Lord, and I'm sure that I blew this. This was, you know, I tell you, these were my goals. I never want to discipline my children unless they have sinned. I don't ever want to discipline them because they've embarrassed me. I never want to discipline because I'm embarrassed. I want to discipline because they've sinned. And if children are disrespectful to you, they have sinned. If they don't obey you, they have sinned, you know. But I never wanted to be one of those parents who are like, oh, my goodness, you idiot, you know. Made me look so stupid. And we, we can, you know, we can do that too when we're discipling people. We can, we can have a, an image that we think, okay, this is the image, you know, that will make me look good because I've been investing in you. You know, I could feel that way toward Madeline. She's new on the worship team, and I could think, okay, this is the image I want for Madeline, and I'm, I could just subtly kind of push her into that. But that's not right because God has a call on Madeline's life, and she needs to come into that, and she needs to be the person that God has called her to be. And, um, and, and my, my value as a person should never be in other people and how they represent me. It shouldn't be in how my children represent me. It shouldn't be in how my husband represents me. It shouldn't be in how people talk about me. It needs to be in Christ and, you know, I mean, as a leader, your children can disqualify you, but um, they should never feel like, all right, you're really a brat. And so if you don't get your life together, you're going <laughs> to disqualify me, you know, because then you're really not the kind of person who needs to be a leader if that's your heart. So and lastly, I think. Um, try to figure out what God is doing in the person's life and cooperate with, with, with God. God is our discipler. Each one of us, he's discipling each one of us. He's pastoring each one of us. And, and he has a plan for our lives and, and he has a love for us. And, and, you know, if God is doing certain things in me, but you know, I'm being discipled by someone, maybe Molly is discipling me and Molly has this formula and she's like, you've got to learn this and learn this and learn this. And I'm, I'm like torn because God is kind of building over here. And so try to figure out what is God doing and try to cooperate with that. Now I am going to talk next week, not next week, it's prayer, but the week after that, I'm going to talk about what are the basics to teach a new Christian and then what are the you know, things to build in after that. And, um, and lastly, um, that was my last point, but I want to make one more. So walk the balance of, you know, Paul, um, Paul talked about not being a burden to the Thessalonians, but he also talked about being transparent. So you want to walk the line between being transparent but not being a burden and taking care, but not allowing people to be dependent on you. It's not helpful for people to be dependent on you. It's helpful for people to be dependent on Jesus. And um, we can, we can fall into error in so many ways. People, when you're pouring into someone's life, they'll have a natural desire to serve you. And you see that throughout the scripture. You know, Elisha served Elijah. Um, and so that's normal. And so you should, it's not like you should never let someone serve you because you should, because that's a natural thing that God puts in their heart and they want to do. But you don't want them to be like your private I don't know how to explain it. You, you don't want to be a burden to them. 
I believe in Zion. I think that's the best day. Um, so if you build in people's lives, what you build is going to be put to the fire. Um, I told you my, I led my friend Susie to the Lord. Um, we were friends for three years. I discipled her. We actually led a Bible study together our senior year. And then I moved out to Arizona and she stayed in the Delaware, New Jersey area. During that time, she went through some very hard things, but she stood true and faithful to the Lord. And she even faced some temptations, but she didn't give in. So what I built was put to the fire, but endured. Now I wasn't the only person building into her life. And you won't be the only person building into someone's life. We're all building into each other's lives. But that was kind of, that was really neat for me because I knew, okay, she's safe. She's okay. Like, you know, and that's the same with our children. You know, they face temptations, they face situations, and you watch them and you go, okay. Now, if your child isn't making such hot decisions, isn't choosing the right path, it doesn't mean God is, is done. Don't give up on your children and don't give up on anyone because God is not, he's not done yet. Um, and, but if you, how many of you have had someone really pour into your life? Okay. How many of you have had some fiery trials in your life? Okay, so those fiery trials are revealing the work that's been poured into your life. Does that make sense? So when you think about discipling someone, you know, so often we think about, like, I want for my children, okay, this is the ideal situation. I want them, you know, in these perfect situations. But even if we try our very best to get people in the most perfect situations, life happens and they end up going through hard times. And so always build for the storms that will definitely come. Storms will definitely come. It's just a matter of what and when. So build for the storms. You know, a concrete house survives a hurricane in Florida, and that's why hurricane proof concrete houses are the rage. You know, you don't need maybe that up where there's not a lot of, problems with hurricane you can just build a house out of wood but here if I'm going to live where the hurricanes blow then I'm going to be inside some concrete and we want to build in that way of course we're building with gold and silver and fine jewels so that is all that I wanted to share with that